Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now here is this week's message from Pastor Troy Singleton. Amen. Centuries before Jesus came on the first ever airborne mission to conduct a raid into enemy territory, he sent a couple of scouts. We call them prophets. So this morning we're going to talk about one of these many warriors who came to pave the way, who came to speak truth to darkness, who came to speak to people who wanted to hurt them in response to what they were saying in the same way that Jesus came. This morning we're going to talk about a prophet by the name of Isaiah, who is quoted many times in the Bible for his predictions. He, he had over 40 predictions. Over half of them were in relation to the Messiah, in, in relation to Jesus coming. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to start there. But Isaiah lived during the reign of four kings in the southern kingdom of Judah and was one of the major prophets of God in over the time period of talking about the Messiah, Isaiah's name is a source of strength and hope because Isaiah's name means Jehovah saves. Isaiah was one who said in Isaiah 7 and 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. One of the more familiar verses of Isaiah chapter 9 and 6 and 7 where he says, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You don't get to make a statement like that unless God has allowed you to peek into the future. Because everything that Isaiah prophesied about came true. So obviously Isaiah was a true prophet who came and spoke truth to darkness in similar ways to what Jesus was going to do after him. But before he came to that point in 7 and 9, he had to answer a very important question, and he answered it correctly. By answering this question correctly, Isaiah is being, is, went down in history as being one of the most well-known prophets in the Bible. Like many of the soldiers we honor today, who answered a call which put them in harm's way. This call changed the path they were originally on and brought them um, to this point. This morning, if you're simply looking for a main idea, our big idea this morning is, when he calls me, I will answer. When he calls me, I will answer. Like Isaiah, all of us who confess Christ answer their call to serve. Although you may have never served in the military for various reasons, it's irrelevant. We all have a right and can be a part of God's army. And within God's army, you would never look into the eyes, never ever look into the eye that God does not love. Anyone that God does not love, you would never look into the eyes of someone that God does not love and Jesus didn't die for 
So with that being said, a servant of the Most High, we are tasked to speak fearlessly to people whether they accept it or not. But in order for Isaiah to get to a point where he was that effective for God to use him, he had to go through some transitions, some of the same transitions that we went through when we came to Christ. And one of the first things is our conviction. Our conviction, when we find ourselves in the presence of God, we realize we are in need of a Savior. And we realize also that there is a God, and I'm not him. So with that being said, in your convictions, you know this, and you know that something that's working behind the scenes and in front of the scenes that allow you to do the things that you're able to do. And this is just Isaiah's story in what he experienced in his conviction. Picking up in chapter 6, um, 1 through 4, you will find words similar to these. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Sarah Got it. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundation of the doorpost shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. In an alarming vision, Isaiah is standing in the throne room of God, in the presence of God and his angels. The most difficult time you will be called to worship God is in darkness. A funeral has the ability to do something that pastors can't do. As you know, you will find a funeral, and you will find people go to funerals that normally don't go to church. You can say Easter Sunday, Christmas Sunday, whatever. But it, for a funeral, they will show up in droves. When the things of life are burdensome, uncertain, and challenging, that God is nowhere to be found. The reign of King Uzziah is over, and God has shown us, is shown up at the funeral. But if you want to know about King Uzziah's life in death, you go to 2 Chronicles 26 and 2 Kings 15, 1 through 7. But giving you an abbreviated portion, Isaiah... I mean, Uzziah came to his kingship at the age of 16, and he reigned for 52 years. He was a good military leader. He was a good king. He obeyed God because in 2 Kings 15 and 3, it says he did what was right in the sight of God. In 2 Chronicles 26 and 5, it says he sought God in the days of Zechariah, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And Isaiah, Uzziah led Israel's military to victory and prevailed through battles and missions. He was an awesome planner. He was an awesome organizer. He was just an all right, all around leader. So when you hear Isaiah say in the year that King Uzziah died, it meant a lot. In the same way, countless soldiers mean a lot 
when we hear their names or we think of their names do Memorial Day. A lot of us wear bracelets to remember someone close to us that died in battle. And each one of these thousands of names who in every war that you can possibly think of is a story similar to the one that King Uzai had as a king and a military leader. None of these names land on, on the ground without somebody having a story of their valiant warrior fighting in battle, their responsibility as a husband, as a wife. All of them had a story. In this story, to him and many other people, a wise king, soldier, and leader had died. Hope is lost and people are discouraged, all because a great king had passed away. Their fearless leader was gone. But you see through this text that Isaiah in the first part focused more on the earthly throne instead of the heavenly throne. At the same time that he was mourning the loss of King Uzziah, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings was still on his throne. His throne was still occupied, never vacant, and this king would never die. To make this point clear, Isaiah wasn't the only one that saw God on his throne. If you look at 1 Kings 22 and 19, he showed himself there. Job saw God on his throne in 26 and 9. Three times in Psalm, God showed his throne in Psalm 45, 6, 47, 8, and Psalm 89 and 14. Jeremiah saw his throne in Lamentations 5 and 19. Ezekiel saw his throne in chapter 1, 26 and Chapter 10 and 1, Daniel saw his throne in 7 and 9. The apostle John saw his throne in Revelation 4, 1 through 11. But the book of Revelation can be called the book of God's throne because it's mentioned over 35 times in the book of Revelation. The Bible wants to make it crystal clear that there is a throne in heaven and no earthly man sits on it but the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah started this chapter feeling down, depressed, because King Uzziah wasn't on his throne. However, the God of heaven and earth quickly assures him he is still present for duty. And with him being present for duties, kings during this time period will wear long robes. And it would distinguish them as being someone that we would serve, someone we would honor, and to say to other people that I am important. None of their, their ceremonies compare to what God does here. God is holy, infinite, unique, eternal, powerful, transcending, and his robe is so long it fills the temple. I personally, I love songs. I love hymns, but I, I can't sing for nothing. So when I was thinking about this, my, my mind went to a song that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote in 1970 called there's something about that name. Some of you may have heard this song. But part ways through it, they, they line one of the, the stanzas is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. They went on to say kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. You see, what they were saying in that stanza is that kings... And kingdoms will not always be here. They will pass away, but God will always be on his throne. 
that regardless of what we go through in life, regardless of what trials and tribulations that we have to face, that God is still on his throne, that that name has significance, that name means something. And what God does here is that when he showed up and his train filled the temple, that angels stood before him and they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the earth, not the temple. We all been to weddings and the wife, the, the bride would come down the aisle with a train. Her train couldn't match God's train. And what that's saying is God knows how to make an entrance. He shows up. His robe fills the temple. He has seraphim singing so beautifully that the doorposts of the temple shook. And that these angels not only sang unto God, they had six wings. So they used four wings. Two to cover their face, two to cover their feet, and two to fly. And when they were singing, if you look at the verse, they weren't looking at God. They were singing, looking more at each other than to God because, because of the, the radiance and the brightness of who God was, they couldn't just glance on him in the same way we can't just stare open-eyed without sunglasses at the sun. So they had to do that because their willingness to serve and their readiness to move at a moment's notice. Because as God moved, they moved. So they had to cover themselves and to move at the same pace and the same time that God was moving. The seraphims are not even directing their attention to him. They are, their only task, their only occupation in life is to serve, praise, and worship God which is an awesome job in and of itself. And also by them declaring it three times, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost, they were declaring his holiness in the highest possible degree. The Lord is set apart from creation in that the Lord God is not a creature. He's not a created being. He exists outside of all creation. If all creation were to dissolve, the Lord God will remain. If Noah's ark has sank during the flood, God will still remain. God is not Captain America, G.I. Joe, or G.I. Jane. God is not just stronger, smarter, older, wiser, or better than anyone. God has no beginning and no end. He sees all things, knows all things, and his power I personally can't put into words. Even in a vision, he doesn't allow Isaiah to look on his glory. We can't measure God's on man's chart, he is divine and we are human. If he doesn't dwell in your heart, who does? And when you look at their glory and you look at what these angels were doing, and then we as humans who are a created being, like these angels are created beings, and they are singing unto God, they have no lead singer, they have no soloist, everyone is singing together in unison. Everyone with a voice, just making a joyful noise unto the Lord. They're giving it their all. But once we acknowledge our sin and our need of a Savior, we have to be cleansed. Our cleansing. So now that we've been convicted, 
we have to get rid of all impurities. We need to undergo a cleansing. Let's look at Isaiah's response to what he saw. He said, then I said, woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies, then one of the seraphims blew, I mean, flew to me, and in his hands was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar of tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah saw the sights and sounds of the angels crying, holy, holy, knowing he couldn't because of sin. Plus the vision of the Lord caused him to question his worthiness, its worthlessness to be in their presence. Isaiah must have been thinking to himself, it's over for me. I'm surely going to die because I'm not only a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But God does something else. He purifies Isaiah in this moment instead of destroying him. And in the midst of this, by nature, lips deceive us with flattering words and force intentions. And what I mean by that, we can profess something, but in our hearts believe something totally different. But God knows our hearts, so we can't just lie to him and say anything. Plus, even if we tell that to someone else, our action is going to prove our truth or our falsehood. So if you were to say, you used to walk and say, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, but your actions don't back up what you're saying, then you have no validation. So the more he saw of God, the worse he felt about himself. Instead of destroying him, God purifies him. And with that being said, I wonder how do we feel when we are touched by God? Do we feel that we are unworthy of his blessings? meaning that we can see our faults. Like people know, we know stuff about ourselves that other people don't know. And we can't put on every time. So I, I just wonder, do we feel our guilt that we need cleansing in the presence of God in a way that Isaiah felt cleansing? And this was definitely a spiritual transformation. We know it was a spiritual transformation because of what Isaiah done in his, past, in, his, in his future after this. Because if someone has a sinful mouth, it makes no difference if a hot burning coal touched their lips. If they haven't been spiritually transformed, they're still going to be spiritually not transformed if they don't believe what they're seeing enough to see their sin in the midst of God's glory. And once Isaiah was convicted of his sin, cleansed from his guilt could take place at that time. We are ready to serve. And once we are ready to serve, we have to be ready for our call. During this time, God is, he wants a return on his investment. You've been convicted. 
you've been cleansed. Now it's time for your call. And God wants a return on his investment. All these soldiers for this weekend and Memorial Day, they gave a return for their investments. They wrote, raised their right hand, swearing to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. They were cleansed through basic training and every other training that they received, which prepared them for combat. And then they received their call to go to fight a war that really had nothing to do with them personally. But because of every one of us here, they answered their call to go. So God is looking for a return on his investment. Finally, we, we need to speak and attempt to reach someone in need. God spoke with nine few words, and Isaiah responds back with five. And just because we haven't served, we still have an obligation to serve God. But let's look at Isaiah's response. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? And I want to pause there because God is the only person that can ask one question in the singular and ask another one in the plural, and it's the same person in both sentences. If you look at Exodus 3, when God showed himself to Moses in the burning bush and told Moses to go to the Israelites and tell them, hey, they're going to be free from bondage. And of course, Moses didn't want to go. So Moses posed the question to God, what should I say when they ask me, in whose name am I here? And God simply say, I am who I am has sent me. That's what you tell them. I am who I am or I am that I am. Depends on the version of the Bible that you're in. God is the only person who can say that my name is I am who I am or I am that I am. No one else can say that. And then Isaiah responds back with, with his response to the question. I said, here I am. Send me. God is always looking for someone to send. He's always looking for someone to go. It's strange that God would have to ask the question to people who already profess him as Lord and Savior, that God will have to look for someone to send, that he will have to look for someone to go. We honor these veterans this weekend that they, God didn't have to ask them to send them or for them to go. They volunteered to do that. He asked this question knowing the answer. Some people believe that the only thing they have to do is to be baptized. I've done my part. I've been baptized. I'm a part of God's family. That's all I have to do. But that's not it. Tell a couple that on their wedding day, now that you're married, that's all you have to do. You don't have to do nothing else. Every one of us know that that's not true. And it's also not true in the body of Christ, that after baptism, that that's it. You have fulfilled your obligation to God. Your name is on the book of life. I'm done. It doesn't end there. People are bouncing from church to church because they don't want to volunteer. They prefer to be in a church that asks nothing of them other than to come to church and to give an offering. They're fine with churches like that. And in the meantime, God is trying to reach 
the world. And that's why we need, he needs us. But he wants willing people to go. Willing people to go. God knows who they are, but he wants willing hearts that are ready to go. Once that happens, he prepared them for the task, but they have to answer the question. He doesn't want robots, but surrendered servants to volunteer and serve. People, some people go places God didn't send them. Some of us as believers have gone places God didn't send us to go. And we just went. And God wants to direct us. He wants us to go where he would have for us to go. Just this past week, I was, we were on Fort Moore and talking to some soldiers. And he was just wondering, asking me, like, what, what is my purpose? Well, what should I be doing? And, and I just sat there and listened. He asked, like, several questions. And I simply asked him in return, did you ask God these questions? Because I'm not God. I can't tell you what your purpose is. In, in Christ. I can't tell you what your skill is, what your task is, where he wants you to go. I can't answer those questions. I can explain scripture. I can give it to you, explain as possible, but I can't tell you where you need to go, where you need to volunteer. Once you accept that goal, once you accept that task, then God will prepare you. As a leader, I had to have, I had tasking that had to be fulfilled. I had a soldier in mind that I wanted to do it, but I needed a volunteer. So I, I would ask the soldier, I need a volunteer to do this task. Everyone will raise their hand and volunteer, but out of those volunteers, I'm looking for that soldier that I know who was willing, able, and capable of doing that task. And once he did, I would call that soldier out and send him to do that particular mission. Why? Because he had a skill set that would accomplish that task easier than if I was to assign just any random person. And God has individual tasks for each and every one of us that's different. It's no reason for us to get jealous of the person to the left and our, and our right because God has enough blessing for all of us. I think all of us can agree to that. But in that tasking, some of our taskings are, are small, some of our taskings are large. What I mean by that, some of us are going to be tasked to affect the lives of 10, 15, 20 people. Some of us are just going to be tasked on the low end of that. But we all are in the household of faith. We all have a goal. That would be like your hand saying to your feet, well, since I'm not your feet, I'm, I'm not doing anything. Your hands has a purpose just like your feet has a purpose. And it all works together for, to move forward and to do things. There's no need to be jealous of anyone or anything. It's just doing what God will have you to do, but you have to do it in relationship to what he will have for you to do and not looking at to the left or the right. And that's why in Psalm 119, it said, let the word, God's word be a lamp to your feet and light into your pathway. It shows you where you need to go, and God will direct you. Isaiah could not go at all unless he knew he was sent by God. Who shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says these things. He said, he responded to him. He said, send me. Here I am. Send me. Isaiah emphatically answers God's question. Who should I send? Who would go for us? And he wanted to be the answer to God's question. How many of us want to be the answer to God's questions? 
or do we want a God to force us to go someplace? Some people in churches, they, they sit and they wait for God to make them do something. That's never going to happen. God is never going to force you to move. He's never going to force you to do anything. I would meet young guys and girls in high school, and they were like, it's like what do I want? What, I don't know what I want to do with life. I said, well, join the military. You got two or three, three or four years figured out. If you, that ain't for you, you get out, you do something else. At least you have some good work ethics. You have a whole lot of good traits that a job will want to hire. If you, don't wanna, if you don't have a clue what you want, do something. That's really what I was saying. Do something. Just don't do nothing. Just don't do anything. And Isaiah's response to God was, and a lot of people miss it, in his response to God, here I am. He didn't say, here I am, I'll go. He said, here I am, send me. The difference between here I am, I'll go, and here I am, send me, here I am, go, is me. you just going to go. When you're saying, here I am, send me, that means you're going to wait for God to send you someplace. When those soldiers, those of us that joined the military, they went to recruit and they joined. But they had to wait to get sent the basic. They didn't leave for basic right after going to a recruiting station. And in Christ, when we answer the call, here I am, send me, it's the same thing. Lord, here I am, send me. Where you want me to go? And you ask him. You don't. You can go to the pastor to pray with you, but ultimately your answer should come from, from God, not from someone, because God knows you best. He knows your skill set. He knows what you're able to do, and you're able to move forward from there. But wait for that sin. Send me. Send me. Send me. That meant that Isaiah was submitted to God and his purpose for his life, that he was going to wait for God to send him. And a lot of us, a lot of people can't bear to wait. You ask Abraham when God told him that he was going to receive a son. Abraham waited 25 years for a son. 25 years for a son. When God told him 25 years prior that he would have a son, and he sent it 25 years later. What was going on during that time period? God had to prepare Abraham how to be a father. Not only how to be a father, but how to be a good father. Because of who his son was going to be, he couldn't just have any father. He couldn't have a, a father that was halfway believing in God. He had to have a son that was fully committed to God and that his son would see God in his father. So when he saw God in his father, he knew that God exists and that he could move on from there because of the life that his son was going to live. And God has each and every one of us in the same position to do that. So what created this kind of heart in Isaiah? And I tell you, first he had a heart that had been in the presence of God. He had a heart that knew its own sinfulness. Secondly, he had a heart that was cleansed and a heart that needed God's word. Thirdly, he had a heart that had been touched by God's cleansing fire, a heart that heard God's heart to reach the nations because he answered the call, send me. 
I would go. God was also able to work with Isaiah after his confession of being a man with unclean lips and acknowledge he was also undone. And as we prepare to just enjoy this weekend with family and friends, there are a few next steps that I want you to take with you. One is simply, I will go where I'm sent. I will go where I'm sent. Because when you go where you're sent, God is with you. When you go where you're not sent, he is with you, but the power to do what he would have you to do is not there. You don't have a mechanic going to the hospital to fix a car or a doctor going to a, a shop to fix cars to do open-heart surgery. He's in the wrong place. They have, to, they have to switch. So you go where you sit. Secondly, today I will give God a return on his investment. Give God a return on his investment. None of us in here... If we're investing our money into anything, saying, I'm going to know what, I'm just going to put my money into the stock market, and I don't care to look back at it and see if it's growing or decreasing, you want to return on your finances. And God wants to return on the gift that he has blessed us with. Amen. So, Father, we come before you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.